Faces come and go and I'm forever grateful Come and tell me long and slow exactly what I wait for Better times, yeah, better times, somehow I don't believe it I built a house up long ago just to up and leave it A mouth full of feathers. That's a phrase that instantly puts a smile to my face, puts a smile to any bird hunter's face. On today's episode, I'm going to be talking with three fellas who chase not only a mouth full of feathers with their bird dogs, but they also chase that idea, that smile with their keyboards. They're three guys that love to write love bird dogs, and love bird hunting. I'm joined by the mouthful of feathers, principals, Tom Reed, Greg McReynolds, and returning podcast guest, Reed Bryant of Orvis, uh, also host of the Orvis Hunting and Shooting Podcast. Fellows, thank you very much for uh, for joining me today. I know, Reed, you're, you're calling in from vermont i believe right yeah vermont where we're anticipating a big snowstorm on the way so uh i don't know where winter went but it seemed to get nudged forward into spring so we're uh we're kind of limping through the remains of winter and and i'm <laughs> gonna be glad when it ends frankly i'm ready for spring <laughs> well you won't get a you won't get tears out of the next guy because he's in montana where real winter is really holding on oh, tom reed sure. <laughs> that's right and craig I, I i'm trying to remember if you're in idaho is that or that's right remember yeah, yeah. correctly in, that's right i'm in southern idaho uh pocatello so southern idaho get, what's the winter report from southern idaho we haven't seen the ground since halloween so um, okay yeah the uh the bird dogs e even the setters are ready for spring <laughs> all right well we're all four of us are in the grips of winter with varying degrees of enjoyment uh let's let's get, do a basic introduction we'll we'll start with tom in montana and uh, uh, give a sense to our listeners if they maybe aren't familiar with you through your writing um let's start with who you are where you're from and what you do for a living tom yeah, sure. So Tom Reed, I live in a little town, between two little towns in Montana, Harrison, Montana, and Pony, Montana. And uh, I am, uh, I've been a writer uh, pretty much all my uh, career. Um, and I work for Trout Unlimited. I, I, I'm on the staff for Trout Magazine, um, which is a real fun uh, job working with uh, the editor, Kirk Dieter. Uh, we we put out a heck of a magazine and and uh, really enjoy that and I, I do a lot of other writing um, for Upland Publications from Covey Rise to Quail you know uh, and uh, working with Chad Love there and and uh, I'm gonna do something for Tom and, and pheasants and um, yeah it's just a it's a fun career and, and uh, keeps me going. Well, I'm, I am going to come back and ask you to talk about your favorite writers, since this is a literary sort of focused issue uh, or episode. Um, but what, let's jump to, to Greg here. I, I know you also work for Trout Unlimited as well, correct? Yeah, it's like the Trout Unlimited show. It's like a takeover today. Um, <laughs> yeah, I work for uh, I work for Trout Unlimited uh, out of Pocatello, Idaho, and um, do advocacy work. So. Um, we're kind of on the policy side, um, doing protect campaigns and, um, yeah, fortunate to, to live in this part of the world and, um, have all these, uh, uh, cool places to, to work on. And yeah, I, I started as a newspaper guy and did the kind of daily grind of writing for a long time and then came to Trout Unlimited and, um, Mouthful of Feathers sort of was my, um, recreational writing after a long time of, of pounding out a couple thousand, thousand words a day on car accidents and school board meetings. Mm. Yeah. I could see how that would be a welcome re uh, <laughs> reprieve as a policy guy for trout unlimited. And you think about 
audience you're talking to, Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever here. Um, I immediately think about the Conservation Reserve Program as a natural overlap. Um, and you're shaking your head instantly. Tell us, tell us how that um, is an issue that's important to Trout Unlimited or why it's an important issue to Trout Unlimited and how it benefits um, um, cold water fish. Yeah, I think over the last, you know, I've been at TU for 16 years and, and we've definitely sort of seen the um, recognition of the nexus between that kind of riparian habitat, particularly in, in CRP areas and other um, protected landscapes. Like that riparian area is critical for sage grouse, for pheasants, you know, for mm. upland birds and for trout, right? It's, it's really neat to see um, how uh, protected uh, riparian areas, both on public and private, uh, private lands benefits both trout and, and upland birds. Yeah, there's, there's no doubt that it, it is one of those things we all learned as third graders, right? the web of life, how everything is interconnected. And I talk about that probably once every three episodes on this podcast, but it's, you just keep coming back. What we learned at third as third graders is so damn true. You know, the yeah. good quality habitat benefits all of us as humans, benefits trout, um, and benefits feathered birds you know it, it's just it's so simple if we just don't forget that as we grow up uh but yeah, i'll get think, off my soap bob <laughs> go ahead yeah well i was just gonna say bob you know as, as you get kind of further out west too um there's just less water around you know mm. when you when you get into montana idaho utah nevada and so what water there is is just so critical to to trout and upland birds mm-hmm all right, let's let's bounce to the final member of our um, podcast today. Returning, I, I, do you have your punch card? I need to punch it for you. Reed. I know, uh, seriously, my my frequent flyer <laughs> number. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this has got to be. I this is like three or four for you, right? Yeah, with you between us back and forth. Yeah, it's got to be got to be three anyway. I feel like yeah. I don't know. It's uh, it's been a it's been a pleasure. Um getting to know you. Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll do a quick intro. So I'm Reed Bryant, uh, work at the Orvis company. My title currently, it changes periodically, but is a senior, what is it? Senior manager of wing shooting services. So I have the, uh, the, the distinction of being able to work with our endorsed partners, destinations, lodges, guides, outfitters, et cetera, that provide wing shooting opportunities really across, across the world, um, that Orvis helps get, get people connected with. Uh, host our podcast, as you said. Thank you for saying that. And um, also work with our guns department and our corporate-owned shooting grounds, of which we have three um, up and down the eastern seaboard. So wear a lot of hats. And uh, yeah, um, also have have been like these guys involved in the freelance world for both fish and hunt um, for about, boy, what's it been? About 12, 12 or 15 years thereabouts. So uh, kind of Orvis has been very generous with letting me keep up with that and stay a presence in that space. Um, this is kind of around the edges of the workday. I, I, uh, I do a little bit of writing. So, yeah. And I should say too, I wanted to say this as you're introducing us. I'm, uh, I have to take, um, sort of take the, the, the backseat. These guys were really the, the drivers behind mouthful of feathers, the original blog platform, and, and were kind enough to let me swoop in once things were established and all the hard work was done and periodically like, throw a little something in there, a little word or two. So, uh, so they're really, they've really done the, the heavy lifting and I've been very grateful to just be involved and get to know them, work with them, the more. I, I'm definitely interested in learning about kind of the mouthful of feathers Genesis story. Cause I, I certainly follow the website and read, but I don't know the backstory of how it all came together. So we're going to go there. I want to give a shout out, um, before we do to to Orvis, one of our sponsors, along with Perina Crow Plan, Sport Dog Brand, Ruffling Kennels, and the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association, bringing you the Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign once again this year during the month of April. It's our online fundraising campaign at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever, built around bird dog popularity. So if you get a favorite bird dog breed, make a donation, $1, $20, 
$2,000. It does not matter. Every dollar equals a vote for your favorite breed. So if you love German short hairs like me, uh, put a vote in favor of those short hairs and it'll help uh, them race up the polls just like your favorite March Madness team. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it all goes to our Build a Wildlife Area program. So it's all for a great cause to create more permanently protected and publicly accessible places for all of us and our bird dogs, um, places for them to roam and chase feathers. So birddogsforhabitat.org, anybody who makes a $20 donation or more will receive a custom Orvis bandana. And we have uh, gifts from our sponsors for everybody that donates during a particular week. This is Orvis week. And we have two custom Orvis Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever dog beds available for anybody that makes a donation to birddogsforhabitat.org during this week. So once again, thank you to Orvis, Purina Pro Plan, Sport Dog Brand, Rufflin Kennels, and the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association for helping us with the Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign. All right, we've got... A Mouthful of Feathers, uh, primary authors, the, the three folks that kind of conceptualized this, this plan, the, the website in the beginning. And I think it'd be real interesting as we talk about Mouthful of Feathers to maybe learn a little bit more about each of you. I, I, I always find it interesting if talking to writers to know who influenced them. Um, you know, who are some of your favorite writers? And, you know, we're talking about bird dogs for habitat. What's your favorite breed of bird dog? What's your favorite bird to hunt? Um, yeah, kind of just give us a little bit more than who you are and what you do for a living. Tell, tell us a little bit about your favorite. So, um, Tom, I'm going to go to you first to give, a, give me a little bit of a rundown of what you do in your free time and um, what you read in your free time. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I kind of grew up uh, as a kid um, reading outdoor life and field and stream with a flashlight when I should have been sleeping. I can remember being busted <laughs> by my uh, parents uh, doing that. Um, and I, I grew up uh, really with some of the great outdoor writers of the age. Um, Jack O'Connor was uh, Gene Hill and uh, Ted Trueblood were all those ones that were really influential for me in terms of. Uh, you know the outdoor writing space um but i also grew up in a in a family of readers and that was really important to me uh you know from my grandmother down to my mother uh, my father we were all big time readers uh you know my grandmother was uh a uh a majored in latin and greek uh, when when she was, I don't know, probably in the 20s or something like that. So really kind of an influential uh, person there. Um, so I think, uh, you know, and I got read to as a kid and, and all those type of things. So I think the, the thing that really has been great for me uh, is to evolve as a writer and to pick up other writing that I really like, like uh, obviously, you know, Jim Harrison, Sebastian Younger, um, Robert Traver, uh, Thomas Savage of Montana that, uh, you know, uh, you know, wrote, uh, some really great books that a lot of people don't know about. Um, but anyway, yeah, that's, it's all been, all been great. We'll jump to, uh, to Greg, tell us a little bit about your backstory, Greg, in terms of favorite dogs and, uh, and what, what you like to read. Uh, yeah, thanks, Bob. I, um, I sort of grew up um, with one foot in the Southeast and one foot in England. My mom was born in England, so I used to spend summers there. And um, so I grew up really uh, immersed in the kind of Springer and Labrador culture of, of Northern England. And that's kind of where I, where I started uh, a love of gun dogs. Um, and so I, I read a lot of, um, a lot of books about, you know, driven shooting and stuff like that as a kid. Huh. Uh, and then got some opportunities to, to hunt uh, wild birds in South Texas, Bob Whites. And um, yeah, so I, I've been s s 
you know, spent like 30 something years transitioning from Springers to, to setters. We just lost our, our last Springer a couple of years ago. Um, and there is talk around the house. I've got two 13 year old boys who think they should get a Springer. I don't know how that's going to pan out, but they're, they're talking about it. Uh, so yeah, so we're, we're, um, a pretty, uh, book enthusiastic family. Um, I grew up just like Tom reading a lot of outdoor life and, mm-hmm. um, you know, more, more magazine stuff. And I think that, uh, definitely influenced my early outdoor writing was that kind of shorter form, um, stuff that I had, had read in magazines. Um, and it's kind of, a kind of an interesting time in the, in the outdoor press, you know, some of those magazines are, not around anymore or they're changing form and yeah it's definitely uh, it's different than when i was a kid and you know you'd run out to the mailbox to get a field and stream or something like that it's it really interesting you know growing up in england and then to texas you know that's not a lot of public lands in either of those places how do you think that's shaped your perspective yeah it's um it definitely drove me west I started, um, I started coming out West and, um, and hunting and fishing when I was like 16, I was the, I was the third kid. So, um, by the time I came along, my, my parents were pretty liberal with the, uh, with the driver's license. So yeah, I was, I was hunting in New Mexico and fishing in New Mexico, uh, when I was in high school and just sort of kept, kept moving and, um, yeah, haven't really, uh, haven't really looked back since then. It. And I recall, so it was probably, was it 2016, Reed, that we all were at uh, Little Moran together, grouse hunting? 2017. Yeah. 2017. Yeah, I have the, I have the hat somewhere around that says, I think it is, yeah, 2017 sounds right, because I still have, still have the blood splattered hat somewhere around here. Yeah, <laughs> and so for listeners, tell, tell them what that was, what that event Yeah, so... It was uh, thinking back on um, how I got to know these guys. So in 20, so when I came into Orvis, we had, I guess at the era that I started, we had lost some of our more immediate contact with some of the wing shooting media people, the hunting media people. Mm. And when I came to Orvis, I came from a background in education where I was writing a little bit, but these were, I mean, these guys themselves were sort of my celebrities right like they were the rock stars Mm. and they were out there doing this for real and they were traveling and they were writing the word was getting out and so i had a it's funny i wanted to tell this story because it was one of our first one of our first orvis guide rendezvous that i got to go to which was in missoula montana and i was looking at the um like the guest or participant list and running down through and i saw tom reed was on there and i was like hold on wait this couldn't be the same guy this is like the Tom Ray is going to be there. And you were, uh, Tom, you were under the heading of a, a guide for Linehan outfitting up there in the Yak Valley. So I called Tim Linehan. I was like, do you know this guy? Like, you know, Tom Reed. And he's like, yeah, the guy's from me, whatever. So I had, I actually had somewhere around here. I probably still have it. Your little business card. Cause you gave me your business card at that, uh, at that first, uh, first uh, guide rendezvous. And so I guess my point being that I started to have this excuse to actually have connections to some of the media people, um, publishers, writers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And selfishly, I thought, A, maybe not selfishly, but I thought Orvis need to reconnect with some of the media outlets and really get the great minds around and great voices around bird hunting back together, just get in the same room and just get to know each other, reestablish those relationships. And selfishly, it was an excuse for me to kind of get the backstage pass to the, you know, Van Halen <laughs> concert, right? And like meet everyone in person. So um, somehow I weaseled my way into getting permission for us to do, to really to get a bunch of writers, publishers, media people together and go hunting in a way that I felt was really representative of, of Orvis and of who we are and what we like to do. So of course we chose the most, the most, uh, how would I say it? Impossible and grueling and challenging and whatever bird hunting we could find, which was going up to 
northern Minnesota and looking for grass and woodcock and just really just getting to know each other. And so you were there, Bob. That's where you and I first met, I think. Yeah, that must be yep. where you and I first yep. met in, in person. It's where Greg and I first, I think, met in person. And, uh, and it was just a meeting of the minds and really, really without a clear objective other than to get to know each other and, and um, rebuild this network of people, you know, because we're all out there doing this thing we're all deeply committed to and immersed in this sport but we didn't we didn't it's a lot easier to maintain those relationships when you have a face-to-face -face, you know introduction and you can just build that time together in the woods especially so build, using that as a as a starting point or a reference point um these relationships have really blossomed very naturally over the years ever since and uh got to do another one of those covid covid throw a wrench in the works for us to do another one but uh I think there's probably another one on the on the horizon somewhere. Love to make it happen again. Maybe in somewhere a little more forgiving. Shooting <laughs> yeah, I, was, eyes, but, I was just gonna say I, I vividly remember being on my hands and knees, like crawling through a thicket and seeing Bob shoot a bird, and he he um, maybe doesn't admit this, but I swear he shot that bird from the hip. I don't think the gun actually <laughs> touched his shoulder. <laughs> There similar similar moment. I remember uh, Russ Lumpkin was there, who at the time was at Grays, who had been at Sporting Classics, mm -hmm. and uh, I remember, you know, he he'd hunted a lot in the South and done a lot of quail stuff. And I remember just in a nasty little popple stand looking for woodcock and a bird getting up, and him just like looking at me bewildered, and I was like, "How? This is not possible. You can't do this. So it's like this doesn't work." And uh, it was pretty funny. It was a good uh, good a uh, good. Yeah, I don't know. Just an awakening, a challenge for all of us. I did not shoot a bird on that trip. I shot a Is lot. Is that of, right? I shot a lot Is of shots, true? but I did not shoot a bird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tom I and I. Very... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say I have really fond memories of that that gathering. I, like you said, Reed, that was the first time we got to meet each other, and all all three of you. That was my first introduction to each of you on a personal level and um it, it's funny how you know you get into a beautiful place chasing birds with dogs with people that have similar interests and passions and how quickly connections happen i i, the other, I still have the the um the shirt that you gave all, everybody and one of my buddies always calls it that, that's such a fitting shirt little moron 2017. I've gotten that a lot. I've gotten that a lot. Yeah. I should give a shout out here to Steve Grossman who uh who hosted that. So Steve Grossman's Little Moran Grouse Camp up there. Um Steve's got double gun bird hunts. Awesome guy. And one of the things that was cool in that trip too, and this will probably sound a little obnoxious on my part or sort of high and mighty, but one of the things that was really important to me too was that we what was represented in that group, because there was folks, I mean, we were kind of the the young guns there, you know, it was a lot of folks that had been in the industry or been just hunting and around dogs for a long time. And to me, there was, there was a real opportunity there for us to celebrate a tradition of, um, I, I don't know, almost like a tradition of interest, but of knowledge. You know, one of the things that's so interesting to me in this space is that you have these people that grew up, you know, with, with a history or maybe like multi-generational history of doing things like training setters in the grass woods or, mm -hmm. or hunting up in those wild places in, in the North woods or, or just whatever you're writing for, you know, their whole career. And so to kind of, to make sure that we were holding, how would I say it, not interrupting that legacy that I think is so important to all of us of, of just, uh, I don't know, just a passion for the sport, but also, a long-standing tradition of whether it's writing, whether it's um, hunting, training, running dogs, guiding, whatever it is, just keeping that intact and, and giving a space for some of that knowledge or some of that tradition to get handed on that, that felt important there. I don't know that any mm -hmm. of us really put our finger on it while we were there, but it, but it felt good. It felt like there was a bit of a, I don't know, just, just sort of a, a, a passing on of something legacy or something like that that felt important. Yeah, I could for sure feel that it was <clears throat> it was a combination of, you know, people with a ton of experience, living legends, if you will. And then kind of the next next generation of, of folks coming up and, you know, that care about the written word and putting in um, kind of their love for 
birds and chasing bird dogs around into the written word. And um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a traditional media hunt. It was more <laughs> not to sign it, not to sound too pretentious, but it was more of a, a literary hunt as opposed to a media. You know, we hold media hunts at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever to talk about issues of the day and the 2023 farm bill and different things like that. But this was the event that you held back in 2017 had a little different flavor to it. Um, and it was really cool. It was one of a kind in my 20 year experience. Um, before we move on, I haven't let you read. Um, tell us about your favorite breed of dogs or, you know, your, your authors, since we are talking literary, um, um, you know, related to bird hunting and bird dogs, who are some of your favorites? Yeah. So, well, I'll, I'll answer the dog question first. I'm sitting here. Oh, maybe she disappeared, but I have two springers, Greg, <laughs> so I can vouch for, uh, for the evolution that, that returns us to springers, I guess. But, um, have, uh, I have two spring English springers now, one who's seven and her eight, and then one who's um just coming on. She's two and a half. Um, and they've been awesome. I had Britneys before. I love pointing dogs, but for the hunting I do around here in New England, uh, flushing dog just works and, and they're so great in the house and such sweet dogs. So that's a that's a that's what we've got. But um but I have a lot of a lot of love for Britney still. Um in terms of writers and reading, I was a pretty <laughs> It's funny to say, but I was like a pretty anxious kid, nervous kid, and, and who turned into an anxious and nervous adult. So that's what you get <laughs> when you start that way. And um, and reading for me was really like an escape. Like I definitely read and reread a lot of stuff that just resonated mm. with me, just as a means of like coping with. I don't know. I remember like going to the dentist and like sitting there just like compulsively like reading to not worry about what was coming up when I got in that chair, you know, stuff like that. So. I read early on a lot of them, um, like Tom and like Greg, you know, I started getting field and stream before I could read it and was just looking at the pictures. And uh, I was going to see if you guys remember, um, I loved reading, uh, do you remember Grandpa and the Kid? There was like a series by this guy, Dan Sisson in, in field and stream. And it was sort of about the young, the young guy coming up and the old wise grandfather, like showing him stuff. And I loved that. So that was like a real treasured um thing like waiting around for the new issue of field and stream to come reading that and then as i get a little older uh childhood i loved what i would call outdoor writing but it wasn't traditional like i compulsively read um james harriet i don't know if you remember james harriet the british writer wrote about dogs he was a vet country vet in the yorkshire dales and so there was sort of allusions to or references to hunting and sort of that british tradition and do all about dogs and farm animals and stuff so i love that and then things like, uh, I was writing some notes here, like Laura Ingalls, you know, I read, so just being out there and kind of living off the land, like I loved, loved all that stuff. And then as I got more interested in, in, um, I always loved to fish and hunting came a little later for me, but read, uh, read a lot of the more classical or classic writers of New England, the grouse hunting scene. So guys like, you know, Bert Spiller and, uh, Gorham Krauss, Grandpa Grouse loved his stuff and, um, there's a local writer here in Vermont, Howard Frank Mosier, that I love. Um, throw out a few more. I also then, as I got a little more in, like a lot of s folks that were writing about hunting and fishing. So like Robert Traver, like um, Tom said, and uh, mm. Bill Tapley and um, John Gierak with some great hunting stories, even though he was primarily a fishing writer. Yeah, so I, I kind of jumped around, but I always loved the stories, the how-to never really did it for me it was all about the stories and the characters and that's really what i what i read a lot of all right let, let's let's talk about the origin story for mouthful of feathers tom you know maybe maybe you could tell us uh, how this how this concept came to be originally yeah you know this is really interesting I th i've been thinking about this and this has been years ago so gosh it's uh i can't remember how long the blog's been around but Bruce Smithhammer and I uh, are good friends and, and uh, uh, have been chucker hunting quite a bit in, in uh, southern Idaho and northern Nevada. And uh, I think we just we just started talking about like how there just seems to be a dearth of really kind of quality, uh, you know, literary outdoor writing um, and also just a, 
a lot of stuff that was the same old stuff, the kind of trite stuff uh, out there. This is also kind of when a lot of the kind of big traditional outdoor magazines were spinning down the drain a little bit and, and, you know, the internet was taken off and, and, uh, you know, we just started thinking, it's like, well, why don't we just, um, get out, uh, on the, on a blog and, and, you know, write what we want to write and, and not worry, uh, you know, be irreverent when it's possible, you know, try not to offend people, but also not, uh, you know, not try to, uh, worry about that type of stuff too much, you know, not, not to be, uh, you know, uh, you know, not to, you know, be over woke, if you will. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think, uh, th- that's, that's what got us on it. Uh, you know, we just, and we weren't getting, obviously we don't get paid for it. And we were just, just a place to stretch stuff that, uh, maybe we didn't get published in, in a printed space. Um, and, uh, and, and have fun with it, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and joke, you know, joke around and, and try and be funny. And, you know, we, we probably didn't pull off the Pat McManus uh, thing, <laughs> yeah. but we also didn't pull off the, you know, the kind of overdone, uh, you know, bumbling outdoor writer who's out there, you know, making mistakes left and right. So we just wanted to be, to write mm-hmm. about some things that were just a little bit different than, than was out there. And, and uh, you know, then we started picking up, and we also asked people that we, admired their writing we asked them to be part of it too and, and that's how greg and and reed got on and um uh yeah it's been it's been a fun uh you know evolution i i would like to say it kind of started around a campfire you know in an upland bird camp on public land and i think that's true um and uh yeah it's it's really taken off and uh you know it's got a kind of a cultish following if you will it really does have a cultish following and speak to that do you have people reaching out to you um i I have to assume that this idea of a book that somebody can hold in their hands is something that's been a frequent request coming your your guys way for a number of years tom yeah i think that's right um so we did do a an ebook uh back Mm -hmm. when everybody thought ebooks were going to take over the world and, and put the printed book out of business, but that didn't happen, but we did do an ebook and it was very well received. Um, and, uh, but, you know, I think just, uh, as we talked, you know, just would run into people, they're just like, man, we love your writing and, um, you guys ought to do a book, you know, and, and, uh, once you guys get together and do a book and, and we're like, well, shoot, maybe we ought to get together and, do a book. And, uh, so, uh, that's how it kind of, uh, evolved from the ebook, which is basically not, you can't even really find it on, on the internet anymore, uh, to, uh, to this idea of this anthology where we, uh, got pretty aggressive in, in, uh, going out and recruiting writers that we wanted to have as part of this, uh, adventure and, uh, and writers whose voices were unique. Uh, to the space that weren't weren't uh, writing the same, you know, kind of how to, where to stuff. That's mm-hmm. that's not us. We are more of the the experience, the 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 dirt, the the experience of the dirt, the experience of the dog, the experience of uh, the sky, the experience of you know, and, and all across America, not just the West. Um, so mm-hmm. I think that that's really been kind of the key for us. Uh, Greg, I talked about the idea that people have been asking for this book and you were shaking your head too. And tell us a little bit about that, your experience, what you've heard from people and who you perceive the audience for Mouthful of Feathers to be. Yeah, it's kind of, um, for me, Mouthful of Feathers has always been about, um, if I had to boil it down to one word, it'd probably be honesty. You know, I think we, um, one of the reasons it's, it's funny. And, and one of the reasons, like we write about missing, right? Like we write about having a slump or, you know, getting stuck or the stuff that sort of is around bird hunting, but is not necessarily bird hunting sometimes. And, um, you know, I think for those of us who really 
you know, uh, upland hunting is the thing that really kind of drives us. It's just not interesting to read about, you know, a perfect point and a, a perfect shot and, you know, everything comes together perfectly. Like that's a rare story. Mm -hmm. And I think when you mm -hmm. really, when you've really spent a lot of time hunting and you've spent a lot of time around dogs and guns, like the stuff that you find interesting is, is what you talk about at the end of the day, right? It's not, maybe it is the perfect shot every once in a while, but a lot of it's like, you know, uh, I slipped and fell or, you know, the dog worked perfectly and I missed, or, you know, it's all those other little things. And, you know, that's, that's what, um, I think the, the mouthful of feathers audience really appreciates is those, um, great stories that, that might not be, uh, stuff that'll get published in, in, you know, a magazine. In fact, I think mm -hmm. the three of us, uh, in particular, and lots of other people who've written for mouthful of feathers over the years, like, there's a lot of stories on there that got pitched to a magazine somewhere. And some editor was like, yeah, it's a really fun story, but I just don't know about writing a story about you missing a bunch of birds. Like, or, you know, they'll, they'll write back and say like, Hey, is there any chance you could make this a little more how to, you know? And, mm. and instead of saying like, Oh yeah, sure. I'll workshop it. We're like, ah, we'll just throw it up on mouthful of feathers. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, you know, I think that's, that's what the audience appreciates is that kind of honesty and I think, you know, one of the great things about Mouthful of Feathers, if you if you sort through the like 350 posts on Mouthful of Feathers, there's a lot of people who've written two stories, three stories, sometimes one story. And those are some of the best stories on the blog, right? They're just a, mm -hmm. a really honest story that somebody uh, who's not a regular contributor or, or who's a rare contributor was like, you know, I want to see this in print somewhere. And, uh, mm. and they go mouthful of feathers will probably run it. I was just going to say, I think one of the things that was interesting about when we first started doing it, when it was just, you know, a handful of us back in like 2007 or something like that, maybe 2008. Um, we didn't really expect anybody to read it. At least I didn't, <laughs> you know, it was like, you were kind of writing, writing columns and then just like shooting them off into space. And it, it took a little bit and then all of a sudden people were reading it and mm. it took a long time to adjust that, to that. You know, it's like you'd be, you'd be hunting somewhere or you'd bump into someone and, and they would know who you were for a mouthful of feathers, which <laughs> is still a little startling. Um, but I think that was, you know, that, that sort of feeling that you were just writing something for fun and, and there wasn't necessarily an audience was maybe a, a really important early uh, part of Mouthful of Feathers, right? It was just that that ability to just, you know, write something that um, that felt good when it was coming onto the page and, and then just shoot it off into space and see what happened. And I think that really resonated mm -hmm. with a lot of people. At the same time, and, and I'll weigh in sort of as a latecomer to the to the blog and and someone who read it forever but then you know i still haven't contributed a ton but but uh one of the things that i think you guys maybe aren't giving yourself due credit for is that although there was a freedom to it and although there was sort of a democratic approach to it you did always hold the writing had to be good there was like a mm -hmm. there was sort of a self um almost like a responsibility to oneself and to the blog to make sure that the writing was a, was of a quality. And when I say of a quality, not that it all fit in the same box, but that you, I don't know how to describe it other than to say, it seemed as though the contributors, re, contributors really cared about what they were delivering and what they were putting out there. It wasn't just sort of a, Hey, I'm just going to throw this out there. And if I, you know, didn't punctuate it correctly or if, it was misspelled or just wrong, you know, factually, that was going to be okay. Like these, the contributors definitely. And I think you all as, as, um, I don't know what you want to call it, sort of moderators of it. We're, we're very aware of the quality of what you wanted on there. And, and, uh, that can sound kind of, as you said, like sort of, I don't mean that to say pretentious. I just mean to say like, if you're going to do something, I think you all felt like it should be done well. And therefore mm -hmm. it was done well. There was a level. What I'm curious about, um, 
maybe you can each, I'm assuming that you each have one story in the new book. Give us a tease on what, what did you write about, Tom? Well, I, I actually kind of wrote uh, a, a story um, about my mentor, about, about my lifelong mentor who just recently passed away and just kind of the, the, the evolution of uh, our relationship. We, we had 30 years of hmm. upland hunting uh, together and uh, he willed me uh, when he passed away, he willed me his uh, Belgian uh, Browning superposed 20 hmm. gauge. Uh, I think it was uh, made in 52. Uh, and I, I used the as I used the gun as basically the vein through the whole uh, the whole story, and uh, it was really fun and and uh, probably cathartic mm -hmm. to write it. And um, he was like my second dad, and and so that's that's my main story in the piece. Wow! And you said you have two others in addition to that one. Yeah, I have another one uh, just uh, writing about uh, sage grouse, my experience, you know, I grew up as a Western kid, you know, and, and uh, you know, hunted uh, uh, sage grouse as a Western kid and, and have kind of watched how sage grouse have, uh, oh, kind of gone the way of the big outdoor magazines, you know, mm. they've, kind of, they've spun down quite a bit and, and uh, um, you know, and, and it was basically the last sage chicken I ever uh, the, that I shot. I don't know if it was the last uh, sage grouse that I'll ever shoot, but definitely I don't go after them as rapidly as I used to. So that's my other one. Huh. And Reed, tell us a little bit about what you wrote about. I I actually I'm gonna in the in the vein of being honest, I kind of reworked a couple of pieces that I'd written a long time ago that I liked, but I didn't that weren't where i wanted them to be and i had mm. to to kind of tweak them and get them where i wanted them to be one is a um one is a story just a straight up uh you know fictional piece but that draws heavily on um on a story of my what is she i guess she was my great aunt kelly who uh was just a pistol like this lived in maine and was just just tough as nails and and uh always had a string of men through her life who she kind of milked everything she could from and sent them on their way kind of deal and just a just a real character and so there's a story there about sort of loosely based on her um she was a hunter actually not a bird hunter but i sort of turned her into a bird hunter for this story but she was a deer <laughs> slayer and uh and really really got them um so one there and then uh the second one is a shorter piece that that's again a rework um really a reflection on a a, a really hard moment for me as a bird hunter and and something i'm i'm quite ashamed of actually but uh it was it was a ver an earlier version or sort of a, a take on it. it was actually in the quail forever magazine a while back but um but this is the the truer story to the experience which was um just sort of hate to say this loud and on 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 a record here but um it was years ago i was living in a little farm and i used to hunt before work before i had to go up and milk the cows or before i had to do farm chores and uh i killed a woodcock and and um put it in my vest and was kind of hustling you know rushing to get to work and it was late and everything else and um threw my vest in the corner of the the dairy barn after the day was through went back to get it to clean the bird and there was just there was like chalking like the white you know woodcock poops mm. all over the back of my vest and clearly the bird hadn't been dead and i thought it was dead and it just was just such a um such a moment for me of just being like what am i doing you know i'm not taking the time to be really intentional about what i'm doing and i'm just rushing through this experience and leaving this bird to suffer and just not being the hunter i wanted to be and that really stuck with me and i wanted to to put that in in here because again in the vein of what these guys have done with mouthful of feathers it's an opportunity not only to to be light and to be sort of silly and to to say what's on your mind but also to i think be vulnerable you know mm -hmm. in that way that i think uh hunting offers us the opportunity to be there's a lot of work in there about loss of dogs and 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 you know loss of people and and just those those feelings that that um that go along with the context of being a hunter. And so, uh, so that was the one that I just put in there. So that was me. Yeah. Really <clears throat> introspective, introspective rather than the customary how to, and that's, you know, ultimately what people really, you know, we've, we've all made mistakes 
like that. And that's where we re can reflect and become better as a result. Um, Greg, tell us a little bit about um, your contributions to the book. Yeah, I think um, I was just sitting here thinking about it a little bit. And both of my pieces are sort of um, maybe reflections on time, which seems to be uh, a topic that I, I keep coming back to. Um, and just sort of, you know, how um, time's just different when you're hunting. Um, mm. And I just think differently. And I don't know, my, my brain, there's, there's two things where my brain sort of acts differently. And one of them is when I'm casting a fly and the other is when I'm following a dog. And uh, hmm. yeah, so I just, I wrote about that uh, a little bit, just sort of the, the strange places your mind goes, you know, particularly um, on a longer hunting trip. You know, if you go hunting for a week and you get those kind of long days where you really walk a lot of miles and follow a dog a long way and, the uh, urgency of finding birds or getting birds um, fades a little bit. You just have these really um, long walks by yourself to just sort of examine whatever is in the back of your brain. So uh, that that's probably the gist of, of one piece I wrote. And then the other is just uh, a piece about kind of uh, longing, you know, growing up as a kid and, and wanting nothing so much as a bird dog. Um, and the, mm. the, um, yeah, I think I, I think I don't know if you guys can feel this, but I can I can look back and, and sort of feel that 10 year old yearning for a dog. And I don't know. It, it's just a, a feeling that's that's hard to hard to replicate. And like I can I can sort of, sort of still still remember what it was like. Um, but it was just uh, I don't know the, the the yearning for a dog in some ways was was as special as the actual getting of a dog. It, do you guys, uh, I'll start with Tom. Do you like to hunt alone? I, I, I feel like that might be a theme amongst people that sort of work out their feelings about hunting and fishing and the outdoors and the connection to a dog and nature and, you know, God or whatever your view of God is, is partly connected to, you know, that transcendentalist theory back from a Thoreau mindset. Is that something that connects with you, Tom, where you prefer to hunt by yourself or are you, per, or are you a sociable hunter? That's a great question. I, you know, having English setters, I'd say that I'm never alone, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think I think one of the highlights of my – the short answer to your question is, yes, I, I love to hunt alone. Um, you know, I've got two great um, Ryman-type English setters right now, and I just love to take them out and see them do their stuff uh, alone if I'm just hunting out of the home here. You know, I've got blue grouse and Hungarian partridge and, and rough grouse pretty close by. Um, but – I do a couple of uh, uh, camps every year uh, that, that have kind of evolved over uh, kind of my lifetime. And one is a chucker camp and the other is a pheasant sharptail camp in eastern Montana. And the uh, so I, I hunt with the like minded. Mm. I think that's the, you know, people that, you know, when we're in this chucker camp, uh, uh, we just uh enjoy each other in the evening and we all kind of all go separate ways mm. uh during the hunt mm -hmm. and we check back and we compare notes and, and maybe three of us will hop in the pickup truck and go to a a certain drainage but one guy goes up one ridge and one guy goes up another ridge and in that kind of public land you could just disappear and maybe you'll hear the guy shoot a couple times during a day and you go out for a day you know you pack enough water for the dogs so you pack your lunch and you're gone and uh, you don't come back and until the end of the day and, and uh, you'll be back there. And then, you know, there's your buddy with a beer and a bag of chips and, you know, uh, and uh, that's a, so kind of like-minded people. Mm. And I've gotten really uh, uh, picky uh, as I've gotten older about uh, the types of people I go into, into those camps with and extended 
you know, for example, that Chucker camp is is a week long, and uh, my pheasant uh, camp is you know five days long. And mm. um, you know, I, I just hunt with the like minded, but quite often we're hunting differently. Um, sometimes I hunt with other people, but usually I'm kind of hoofing it by myself. Mm-hmm. What about you, Greg? When you, as you're telling story of your writing, that's where that's what kind of triggered that thought in my mind. Um, are you a person that hunts in a group? Do you have a camp or are you a, a solo? Yeah, I'm, <clears throat> I'm lucky enough to, uh, to be part of, um, that chucker camp. Um, hmm. so I have, a, I have a couple of, uh, trips I do with other folks, but yeah, I'm, I'm mostly hunt alone. Um, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate to have, um, some good, uh, good hunting buddies. Um, and, you know, we all, for the most part, have pointing dogs, which is, you know, the interesting thing, just kind of back to that, that first conversation about Springers, like, I still love Springers, but, you know, kind of out in this part of the world, um, if you want to find birds, it's pretty helpful to have a, a dog that's stretching out, you know, two or 300 yards. Um, mm. And so that was what really drove that transition for me. And, you know, kind of that same thing is like these spaces are, are so big that even if, even if I do go hunting with a a good buddy of mine, it's, it's kind of like Tom said, you know, it's a, it's a car ride out together and then we park and go Mm -hmm. separate directions to see, uh, see if we can find them. And then, you know, we'll meet back at the truck and, uh, and then, you know, share a ride back to town. So, so you get kind of the, the pregame talk and the, uh, the postgame talk, but you do the hunting Mm -hmm. on your own. What about you, Reed? I got to imagine with your job, you it, it's pretty difficult to fly solo. Yeah, it is. And and this will come off sounding so like spoiled and privileged. Like I'm very, very fortunate with my work that I get to hunt way more than I deserve to and go to some really cool places. And generally with people, oftentimes with people I don't know, which is an interesting dynamic too, whether someone who's guiding or working dogs or, or, um, you know, I get paired up with someone that I, that I haven't Mm -hmm. met before. And that has its own great opportunities to get to know people and you get to, um, yeah, just to sort of see how people do stuff differently. And that's, that's certainly part of my role. Um, but what I miss and frankly, what I, what I, you know, it's always interesting for me to listen to these guys talk because they're such good, um, driven sort of DIY hunters. And frankly, like I, a lot of my just DIY stuff or or my kind of go out and figure it out on my own stuff is it's nowhere near what it used to be. Cause I was just Mm -hmm. thrashing around by myself for a lot of years, you know, with or without a dog, just trying to like find the grouse that lives in central Massachusetts. Right. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and so, um, what I miss about that and I do miss it and I, I do some of it still, but not anywhere near the way I used to. Um, all of that hunting for me and for me with my dogs back then was, it was like mine and mine alone. So from a learning perspective, I took great pride in, in I don't know how to describe it other than that everything that happened, good, bad, and otherwise was, was mine. Like hmm. it didn't no, no one was scouting for me. No one was telling me where to go. No one was, I was kind of scratching it out on my own. And I think there's, I think for me, there's something about that that really solidified itself as like part of the identity that I loved about being a bird hunter. Like that was very important to me, much more so than how many birds I killed or what my dog did or whatever. It's just that we were out there doing it on our own. And not having that as much anymore is a, is, um, it, it's, I miss it, I guess is the easiest way to put it. Mm -hmm. I miss doing that as much as I used to. And I think that there's probably in the future an opportunity for me to refocus on that a little bit, but, um, but I can't be, you know, it's like, I really can't complain. (laughs) I'm pretty lucky (laughs) with what I get to do. So, uh, so I try, I try to just, you know, know that that's there, but it's going to be funny for me. Like when I'm not doing this job anymore i'm going to be basically reverting to 
18 year old me like looking around you know, trying to figure it out on my own so i don't know Reed, I think that's, that's really interesting to think about like that change too you know like we kind of go through phases and um i have like i mentioned i have two 13 year old boys who were getting into upland hunting and um i had sort of given up on pheasants for a few years and um and all of a sudden i got these 13 year olds and man they love to hunt pheasants and so it's i can see um I can see my, uh, my upland hunting changing again, you know, in the next few years, like it's not just the hunting solo, which I'm doing less of, but it's also just like the things they want to do, um, Mm -hmm. which are different, right? They're, they're more like kind of what you were saying, Reed, where you start getting back to a younger version of yourself, um, just because that's what they're enthusiastic about it. We we did some of that this year and I was like, I haven't done this, but man, I forgot how fun it is. We had had a great time Mm -hmm. chasing pheasants. Yeah, that's, I, I love that. And I love too that like, and I think this is something that, again, you guys really talk about a lot on the blog or refer to whether it's explicit or not, is it this, it's not a, like a linear pathway, right? Like through your experience as a bird hunter, it's gonna, and it should like grow and change and what you like today, you may not like as much the gun you shoot today may not be the gun. You know, I love the idea of, I don't know, just sort of going going in whatever direction you choose with it and making it what you want it to be um, throughout the course of your, your life or experience. I think yeah. that's really astute. The, the point about it not being linear, right? It, it really is. <clears throat> every bird has its little bit different nuance, different challenge, different challenge for the dog every landscape's a little different and it isn't, you know, like it's not necessarily like some people think about this progression, right? You started in woodcock and you go to rough grouse and then you get to pheasant. Like it, there's not an, any natural outline for upland bird hunting. Um, it's like, well, I'm going to graduate and go to Montana. You know, that's not the case. Cause like Tom, you, you know, we started talking to you guy living in the West and you go to the rough grouse woods and be like, well, I can't even swing my shotgun in this stuff, you know? That's right. it, it, so it isn't linear that, I mean, that, that is a really, really good assessment of upland bird hunting. It's, it, it's the collective that we all appreciate and helps us kind of evolve, even if it's not a natural pathway, at least that's, that's how I perceive it. Um, I really appreciate you guys, you know, taking so much time. Let's let's get to um, folks want to get the book. Folks want to learn a little bit more about the book. Get the book on order. How do they find it? Well, I think the best way to, is just go to the website, uh, mouthfulandfeathers.com. Uh, there's there's a link on how to get there. Uh, when this uh, podcast comes out, we're going to have the uh, paperback, I think, ready to go. Uh, you know, in terms of ordering it. Um, and uh, we're hoping to get everything out uh, this spring. Uh, we, we did a limited, uh, a, we did a limited uh, sale of a hardcover and that sold really well. Hmm. Um, and uh, it was just uh, basically the authors uh, out there plugging it and uh, doing things like this podcast. And um, so, yeah, just go to the website, mouthfulfeathers.com and, and, uh, you could get it and uh, and check it out. Let's now go around the horn, closing thoughts um, on, on the book and um, on the approach here. Uh, we'll start with Greg. Uh, well, I, I really appreciate you having us on. It's fun to have the conversation. Um, it's, uh, you know, I, the, the thing I love about the book is just the sort of the group of writers Um I think we we wanted to just help bring some new voices out. And I, I think, you know, there was a podcast. Actually, I think it was Reed's podcast um, where, you know, Reed had asked, maybe it was Chad Love, about uh, current outdoor books. And um, there just wasn't a lot that was in the main, mm. uh, the vein of Mouthful of Feathers. And so you know, for, for us, I think that kind of spurred us to maybe, uh, try again on a mouthful of feathers print product. And, um, 
I just can't tell you how excited I am about it. There are some really incredible written pieces in here. There's some names you've never seen and some, some people who, uh, who hopefully are going to go on to even bigger things after, after this publishes. Yeah. Right on. Uh, Tom, what, what's your closing thought? Yeah, I, I think some similar to Greg, uh, you know, I'm just really tickled about the group of uh, writers we put together. Yeah, you know, we didn't mention the uh, cover artist, Fred, Frederick Stivers, um, who is just a phenomenal artist. And um, we're just tickled to death to have his uh, uh, work on the cover. Um, so I'm just really, I'm just really tickled about the talent. Um, we've just got some really talented writers um that happen to be bird hunters yeah. instead of the other way around um and, and so uh, i think that's that's the the key thing it's just it's it's just a really interesting group of folks i'd love to get them all in a tucker camp and and uh and have a good time because yeah, you could just tell you know, some of them i don't know personally but we uh, was, i knew their work um, and you can just tell that they're the, they're my kind of people. Yeah, I, you're you're right to bring up uh, Frederick and that cover art. With all the Setter and Springer talk, it's somewhat shocking that a short hair ended up on the cover. Oh, that's intentional. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, we 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 try to be non-discriminatory. So yeah. Uh, Reed, what's your closing thought? Yeah, well, first of all, thank you again for having us. It's always a pleasure talking to you, talking to these guys, and just some, yeah, it's just a nice, nice opportunity for us to all get together. Um, so thank you for that. You know, my parting thought really is just that I'm glad people still care about writing. <laughs> like, it's mm. sometimes I'm turning into one of those like grouchy old men who's sort of like, oh, no one cares anymore, and all they want to <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I don't know. And, uh, and I think that just when I think back, and I'm not saying by any means that you, I'm not inferring that like we can do this for people, but I look back at how I really, truly like loved, loved some of the books that I read when I was younger, or even now, you know, I just like, they were just such a important piece of my life and it sounds weird to say that but just like stuff that is stuck with me little turns of phrase that have stuck with me little um sort of images that were created in the books i read that really have helped plot my course forward you know i hope that i hope that we can continue to do that for people or offer that or at least put put a platform out there where people can get that because in the end you again like i'm not I don't reference day to day, like how to tie the new knot to attach my rappel to the six pound mono. You know, it's like, I don't, it just doesn't, it's cool. <laughs> like I'll use it, but it doesn't, mm -hmm. it hasn't like formed my worldview. And some of these other stories or references or characters that are developed have. And so I think, you know, to, to just say to the world, like, Hey, this is so important. Let's keep doing it like that even in our small way, you know, I, I think that's really important. So just really, really feel privileged to be part of this project because I think we're trying in our little way to do that. So. Yeah. I, um, I love that perspective as well as a person that, you know, I went to college to get a creative writing degree and the intersection of writing and bird hunting and bird dogs hits me, you know, like a, a left right hook into the in into the heart i i absolutely couldn't agree with you more reed that this is it's a labor of love but it's also really important um you know we i don't think we have it's so easy in 2023 to say oh everything is video nowadays i mean i know we all all of us hear that in our day-to-day -day jobs well look at the algorithm the only thing people are looking at are the videos, right? On Facebook and Instagram. And but the reality is a book lasts forever. It's not fleeting. And what you what you guys have put together here is forever. And it will inspire people for generations that you have no idea. And it might be the next, you know, might be the next throw. You know, it might be the next um Gordon Gillian. 
might be you know the the next uh, John James Audubon. We just don't know, but that's the magic of books. So I really, really herald you guys for um, following through on this concept, putting your focus on upland birds, bird dogs, having a little fun and irreverence along the way, easy for me to say, um, because that's going to hook people that you probably don't even know today. Um, Thank you for um, sharing your story with me. and Thanks for sharing some laughs. Appreciate um, the work you're doing. And that throughout the website again, one more time, Tom. Mouthfulofeathers.com. Easy as that. Mouthfulofeathers.com. Go online, get your book ordered up. It'll um, be a wonderful opportunity for you to relive bird hunting season, spring months and summer months until September gets here. Um, for Reed Bryant, for Tom Reed and Greg McReynolds, the mouthful of feathers guys, I'm Bob St. Pierre thanking you for listening and reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks. <laughs>